You are now tuned in to the School of Higher Thought podcast, where we explore the realm of personal development. We aim to upgrade your life through lessons learned from personal experience. Episodes are released every Sunday. For more updates and other apparent content, please follow our other social medias in the description below. I hope you've got your notepads ready. Classes in session. Peer pressure. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Control. Religion. Okay. What about you, Zach? Hmm. The first thing that comes to my head is societal consensus. That's interesting. I think that's the most powerful one, you know, because, like, initially, I mean, not initially, but when you hear peer pressure nowadays, you automatically think it's something bad. But peer pressure has actually been historic good right when good things has has happened in society it's because there's been pressure on the masses to do something right for example if we look at you know hitler and the whole situation there yeah it's true if we look at um even what's happening in china now because china don't really care about anyone's opinion but the fact that we as a collective we still like come together to try to hold them accountable that's a good use of peer pressure right but it could also have an, an adverse effect simultaneously because peer pressure is good for the individual who's pressuring people in the direction that they want. But that's not necessarily good for the people. That's how I see it. Which kind of goes back to what you said, which is control. I think peer pressure is good for the individual steering the boat, but for the people that just kind of going sailing blind. You feel me? I feel like when we look at peer pressures, it, it goes from different angles because there's a type of peer pressure on a wide scale where, as you said, you know, with Hitler and the Nazi uh, party and all of them things there, like, you know, that's more like on the coercive side of things and seeing how it influences society on a, on a larger scale. But on an individual, like peer-to-peer scale, it gets quite interesting because, you know, it kind of is one of the key drivers of influence in terms yeah. of your programming because when you think about it, you know when you're peer pressured by your friends to do something to 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 be socially accepted you know you're more inclined to do it because there's more incentive to do it you know so yeah. that's your influence to do it and then when that happens you then start doing it and then you might start peer pressuring someone else to do it and then it kind of repeats again and again and again through society until everyone kind of has that same general consensus it's quite interesting the thing is if you look at um there's a book, I think it's called How Ideas Spread, and it's about how influence works and what it is that actually makes us want to replicate something that we've seen elsewhere. And it's actually really interesting because uh, looking at it from a psychological perspective, I don't think that we are very aware of the things that we actually consent to Definitely. in society. Something as small as, you know, uh, etiquette that you have on the, on the roadside that I've realised... When I'm in London, uh, everybody keeps their head down, tries to walk past people as fast mm. as possible. But when I'm in different parts of the world, UK, <laughs> when I'm in different parts of the UK, there's different cultures. So some people want to smile at you. Some people want that eye contact. And it all comes down to this whole 
peer pressure is like a it's like a blanket statement for it but i feel like it's something deeper it's this it's a collective consciousness right it's a collective consciousness and us operating in this shared space of people and there's something in us that wants to fit in there's something in us that wants to conform now whether that's a necessary good or evil i guess it's up to the institutions at the time that create the social change mm. but i don't think on a fundamental basis that peer pressure is something bad i think peer pressure is something that's protected us all these years mm, that's interesting why do you say that well I think it's really easy to see how peer pressure is having negative effects now. Pressuring people into getting vaccines, pressuring people into making changes that are going to be for their whole lives and making changes to law that's going to affect all of us without our necessarily agreeing. But peer pressure historically has been something that has been used to control, sorry to use this word, but outcasts, right? You, you act a specific way in school, you act a specific way in society, not because of what you want to, but because of how you've been taught is acceptable, right? And so right. for a healthy society to even develop, there has to be an immense peer pressure. When mm. when you look at structures that, that survive long, you know, there's this quote from House of Cards, and he says something like, he says, money is the fresh new building in the city centre that survives 40 years and then gets blown away by the next power but power is the old stone building that stands for centuries and i think that is really what society is as well i feel like um the traits of humans that really go on to survive are something that we deeply entrench in our in our social fabric in in our vehicle of peer pressure. These are values that we are 100% gonna hand down to our children and children's children, children, children. So I think that's where peer pressure started as a force for good, a force to retain things that make our society flourish and work. But then we can get into how it's been manipulated and resulted in the world we see today. For sure. And do you think that the way how because obviously you're saying how it can be used for good but do you see it currently being used for a bit more of an insidious ulterior motive let's say i don't see okay well the answer to that is yes but they're very different because i see the whole world moving towards this of corruption I don't think that is um, due to Pepe taking this disgusting form is because of what's happening. So I want to look at um, what do I think is the fundamental start to this? I think Brexit, you know, I think the Brexit campaign was the first time that politicians saw just what could be accomplished with even short term peer pressure, right? Because we have seen on all types of stuff, all types of negativity, all types of racism, blah, blah, blah. But what was fundamentally different about the Brexit hype is they targeted a an interest that wasn't even supposed to be in the argument. So, for example, they ended up campaigning on uh, race, identity, uh, racial, all of this stuff, basically immigrants and stuff like that. 
when Brexit was about so much more than that. And so I think it's because us as a collective, we are proving more vulnerable to these types of uh, groupings. I think social media has a massive part to play in it as well, because it's easy to have peer pressure um, in a classroom because everyone's there, right? It's harder to have peer pressure when everybody's spread out consuming different information. But what social media does, it, it provides this echo chamber for society in which everybody knows what topics are hot at the moment. For example, right now, we are all speaking about the same thing, GDP, crypto, all of this type of stuff. And so I think it's really about solidifying that moment. And because of social media's capacity to solidify that moment, it's way now it's way more easy to build movements around these moments, even if they're short. So you can turn something years ago would have just been a weekend conversation to a whole movement mm. through social media and through peer pressure. Peer pressure is now in the digital world, it's worth so much more to have access to someone's mind. Mm. I feel like the reason why that can be as well is because when you're behind a phone, you're more vulnerable in a sense where you're not being seen right in front of you. Like no one's looking at you dead in your eye yeah. trying to see once but it's one of those ones where it's like for example when the black lives matter movement was going on everyone's posting that blackout tuesday you know it's like if you don't do it you're the outcast you're the person who's not really with us and for that reason you will then be the one who is kind of almost in a sense exile you know it's a, it's a new kind of exile and yeah. it's interesting how that happens you Powerful. know if you it's very powerful because it, it influences you to make a certain move or take an action without you even realizing that it's not actually your true belief. Because I remember when when that happened, when all of that stuff was happening, when people um doing the blackout Tuesday, I was like, hold on, this isn't gonna do anything. We need to really make a plan and, and yeah. take action on that plan rather than posting black squares in the timeline, disrupting the flow of information. Cause I know that there were some big events that was happening on that day specifically as so well. Sad. So and it was quite unfortunate that that happened, but you know, uh, people were just they just follow the per the person in front of them without blind that blindly without actually looking around them to see what the environment is and what the consequences of their actions will be. It's like when you see those pictures, and it's like I don't know if you've seen the illustration or heard like um, this kind of analogy, but it's like imagine a fence, and it's a small fence, it's broken on the side, so like if you were to walk through the sides, you can just walk beyond the fence. But mm. all of the sheep are going into that small little gate of the fence. They're all funneling through there, even though that they could literally just go free elsewhere. But because that everyone's going in one certain direction, the sheep just follow naturally. You know, what's really interesting about social media is actually, I can't remember he was speaking about this the other day, I think it was Chamath. He was speaking about how essentially social media is even more intense than the physical realm because although in the physical realm yeah you have you're i guess you're more vulnerable because you're physically vulnerable not just mentally but in the social realm we have so many battles that we don't even understand that we're fighting and on a basic level all three of us on this podcast we know that essentially subconscious picks up everything and so everything you consume is, is going to condition you in some way but what we don't understand is the severity of that conditioning. And so what social media has done is 
it's essentially turned pair pressure into a component of its algorithm. How does content get to the top? They won't tell you. They pretend like they don't know, but we will know what type of content gets shared more. A specific type of etiquette on these social spaces results in more and more likes, followers, shares. And so we are all being conditioned very specifically to act in ways on social media that are essentially damaging to sometimes us, sometimes society. And it's scary because these powers are still going on unchecked. These algorithms, people do not understand. When you're looking at your Twitter feed, it's, not no, it's no longer based on date. It's based on a specific algorithm that sorts content into a specific way of consumption. And so peer pressure, I'm trying to say it, it's gone beyond this device that is used as a control mechanism by institutions at a time or societies at a time and it's really becoming the one of the fundamental uh, components of power in our society and I don't think we're going to see it die down I think what needs to happen is as I spoke on the last podcast is independent thought and intellectual independence I think the only real way that you can avoid peer pressure or the effects of peer pressure is to completely remove the ability for these digital devices to basically uh, implement ideas onto you without your consent. You know, the thing is, I don't think, and I've always said this, I don't think systems ever change. Everything is fractal from, I mean, peer pressure observed through social media, but like on the base instances of peer pressure, what about education, religion, hobbies? All of these things that we may think that are our own choices mainly stem from peer pressure from our primary caregivers. It's the yeah. same way like people these days are really questioning the educational system and they're straying away from that form of peer pressure because they're kind of, I guess, rationalizing. Is this potential future worth the peer pressure? Like so many more people are openly fine with, I guess, disobeying or going against their parents from educational I guess, institutions to their own sort of financial independence through business and stuff. Um, That's a tough journey as well. And it is. And I feel like peer pressure has always been a part of society and it always will be because it taps into the, I guess, what I like to call the dark psychology of humans. I mean, really and truly, supposedly evolving from animals, you know, the whole, I guess, primal instinct is still within us in a sense in the sense that we've evolved yes but our minds are still very primal to social aspects you know what i'm saying maybe a couple hundred years ago it was being outcasted from the tribe meant that you were gonna die and that same anxiety is passed down through yeah. genetics it's crazy to even the simplest form of oh my parents want me to go to uni to study this i'm not going to study this i'm afraid now of being outcasted because it's tapping into that same primal i guess more primitive form of man when it comes to tribes and stuff like that so i think peer pressure will always exist but i feel like people always see peer pressure as just like somebody trying to get you to smoke weed or take a shot when you're young but really it's truly not it's not always it's a that. fabric of society it's a fabric indoctrination precisely it's crazy you know yeah sorry to take this off topic slightly but i want to tell you this this morning yeah i was this afternoon i was in the barber with 
um, this little kid, I wasn't with the little kid, the little kid came in, sat next to me, right next to me. And um, I didn't like, I'm not crazy. I don't observe everybody around me. But this specific <laughs> kid, within two minutes, he grabbed my attention because I realized straight away, I'm not diagnosing him, but he had one of those ADHDs, one of those tendencies, because I realized he literally couldn't sit still for five seconds. Mm -hmm. And if you think about why that is, it's because as a kid growing up in this society, I think peer pressure in a lot of important aspects have gone out the window. And I'm just bringing this back to the point of digital realms that we have to be really careful about. Because now kids, instead of getting their initial most significant programmings from the immediate surroundings, which they are, don't get it twisted, they are then having it somewhat corrupted by this interaction with digital stuff that I think can kind of sometimes negate things that you're trying to teach them. So to basically make my point with him, I think it was uh, because as soon as his older brother brought out a piece of technology, YouTube, he literally slowed down a little bit. Yeah, but kids are always like that. You ever see kids that are family motive? With kids are like hands. that, but <laughs> kids are like that. But I feel like you're, I think it's because uh, I was actually in the Naughty Boys class for a while and a lot of them, they just had ADHD. The problem mm. with ADHD is when you don't have a medium to pour it out into, that's when it manifests itself as, you know, naughty or fidgeting. Disruptive but this behavior. kid, no, Nero, like I'm telling you, every single second doing something absolutely crazy. And I could just tell was because he doesn't sit with himself. He's probably always filling him his time up with some sort of technology. And I was thinking to myself, okay, so if this is how uh, traditional ADHD kids, if they were able to essentially get out of this by just observing society, sitting next to me and seeing that I'm sitting completely still when I'm outside, right? Because the kid doesn't have the understanding to say, okay, I'm going to be uncomfortable, right? He's not going to have that. He's going to look around and say, how are these men acting? And how do I need to act? And that's why, to your point, I think some peer pressures are extremely important and even invaluable to the workings of society. If everybody was just going to come up with their own solutions, there would be no solutions. Let's be real, because everybody would die. Mm. And so... I agree with you that peer pressure is, of course, it's just it's just a natural occurrence of any society and any type of movement. But at the same time, these things can really develop into something else. And not only they develop, society develops. Although our motives are the same, right? We all still eat, shit, sleep, sex, whatever. The ways in which we do these things have changed, for example, if you wanted to be a scum, scummy man with sex back in the day, you would go to a brothel. Now we have pornography. And they're very different. Even though it's the same desires they're attaining to, they're building completely different neural pathways in our brain. And so they change. And I think that's why I really always try to point out in society, because I do respect the historical context that everything gives. But at the same time, it's very dangerous to think that things will just turn out the same. Because these powers we have, these devices we have, very different. I'm here just chilling. I thought that uh, Victor was going to chime in. <laughs> Me too. He was this guy. I'm just thinking thing, about what you said. One, thing I, wanna, one thing I want to mention, um, it's quite 
it's unrelated, but somehow it's related. So this week it was both of my sister's birthday, right? First and foremost, happy birthday to my little sister. Happy, and happy birthday. birthday to my older sister. Happy birthday. Much love to you both. Um, but my mum, <laughs> she was she she had written a card, right? So I'm gonna ask you both a question. When you write a birthday card, which side of the page do you usually like how do you write the birthday card? Do you write on the left page or the right page? Like right page. Right page. Maybe on the left page you'll just put to the person's name on the right page, you'll put your message or whatever. Right. And what made me laugh on my sister's birthday is that she opened up her card and it was for my mum, right? My mum, just a little background, my mum is like is a very artistic person. Like she she used to be a head of an art department at school. Now she's doing up. I'm not gonna say what she's doing currently, just in case she doesn't want me to, to, to say that. But, <laughs> but just know she's she she's doing big things and for a black woman with, with dreadlocks, larger up. But so inside of the, the birthday card, right? <laughs> she had written the 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 content of the card like diagonally. So it went from <laughs> the left page to the right page, but like in a diagonal way. But the lines were, were so straight. And we was like, we was me and my sister were both laughing at it. We was like, why did you do that? She said, listen, why do I have to go by the constructions of society? And I was like, you know what? It's true. Because <laughs> why do we all write cards the same way? You know, it's it's about that programming that we all have. You know, we subconscious like we don't even realize it, but we're writing things the same way. Even you see how like you know how we write normal. Um, if you write a paragraph or if you write anything in UK, yeah. we will write from left to right. But if you go to Dubai or, or another or an Arab country and they're writing in Arabic, they write from right to left. So it's like people don't realize that these small little things have been influenced and instilled into you without you really knowing. And you won't ever know until you sit back and really consciously and intention and intentionally reflect and, and think about, cool, like where did this actually come from? Did this come from my own thoughts or did, this, did somebody else instill that into me? And that brings me back to another question I have for you, Will. So let's say, you know, you're one of the viewers, right? And this viewer, their algorithm is bombarded with pornography, um, foolish content and that's all they really think about they're being programmed to believe certain things that they might not necessarily agree with what is the first step that they can take from really breaking out of that structure and going back to their own authentic thoughts and their own authentic beliefs okay well the answer is extremely simple unsubscribe <laughs> i love to say it if you're scared of something unsubscribe if something's controlling you unsubscribe and it's a really simple answer because it's meant to be but the work that has to be done that is the challenge so i'll give an example of what i've done so two or three years ago i wasn't addicted to snap i had kind of a pop and snap and i realized that i wouldn't call it no no let's call it an anxiety i had an anxiety of posting when i would post i would want to know how many viewers I had. I would want to know who viewed it. I would feel some type of way some people did or didn't. And I realized that all of those people, they do not even give a toss about your life. Let's be very honest. They don't care. You are showing off to people who are going to watch your snap for 15 seconds and forget you exist. Mm. And, you know, 
thinking about things in first principle in essentially what is this giving to you because i think that's step one in identifying whether a program is even yours what does it do for you does it do something positive or negative and you have to answer that honestly that's step one after you've made the decision and we often know the decision before you've even made it it's about putting yourself in a place uh to actually do something about it so for example in my scenario all i did was i literally deleted snap and it started off hard you know i would download it every single day check messages and after two or three weeks realizing that without posting people won't message you it became evident to me and so i kind of proved it to myself right you have to prove these things to yourself because remember the subconscious keeps a record of everything and right now if you're somebody that's struggling with something that you want to unsubscribe from all you're giving your subconscious evidence of is that you need to do that thing if it's smoking show yourself that you don't need to smoke if it's snapchat show yourself you don't need to it, see it as a challenge you know these things are never going to be easy if i could come here and give you an answer i would be a billionaire because i'd give it to everyone everybody struggles with these things it's really about willpower you know uh, a lot of people don't know that faith and doubt is actually the same thing it's just belief right except it's belief in an outcome you want versus an outcome you don't want and so understanding that you need to understand that you have mental work to do if you want to make a subconscious change to yourself. A lot of mental work to do. There's physical work, which is stopping yourself from, I guess, being an enabler of those actions. And then there's mental work, which is reinforcing the belief that you are what you want to be rather than what you're not. So if it's something like smoking, Think of what you would do rather than smoke. Think of being an athlete. Think of having extremely great breathing. Think of swimming. Think of doing things that essentially directly counter what it is you think you're incapable of. I like that one. I like that example specifically because that's actually something that I did. Um, I know I had a habit of smoking at one point. And what I did was I started to take up MMA again. And when it happened, it's like, because you're training, it's like you instantly feel the effects of your smoking. Yeah. So naturally you're like, okay, cool. Let me stop smoking for a bit. Let me see what happens. Two weeks later down the line, my, my cardio has improved. I'm not burning out as fast as I can. I'm able to keep my hands up for longer and, and you know, outlast my opponent. And then like, when you see what you can do there, what can you do in four weeks time? What can you do in a year's time? It's and it's just about staying consistent because you know if you if you compound at one percent a day it's gonna exactly. have it's gonna give you some large dividends you build a report with your subconscious that you are the person that you want to be rather than building a report that you're a person that you don't want to be even saying something like if you know you're some of a smoking problem that's fine don't then blow or conflate that problem with other things by saying you know oh i'm just not serious about life or Bro, I just, I just can't, man. You know, a lot of people, when, they, when they're faced with adversity, they just shut down, they break down, they don't know how to react to it. And they don't understand that actually contributes to how hard it is to get out of these hurdles. Because as I've already said, everything is a mental game. You know, yeah, when you were speaking about MMA, something came to mind. There was this study, um, I think it was ages ago now, probably 20 years ago in America, 
when we first started really, you know, there was a there was a time where we as a society started really talking about the benefits of like PE, physical education, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, the reason that happened is because the Americans at some point thought that they had a crisis on their hands. They thought that Americans were significantly weaker than uh, basically everyone else. They thought there was a crisis and America had made people too soft. What was really happening was Americans were essentially, they had a mental battle with working out in which your brain is always going to stop before your body reaches its physical limits. It's crazy because, you know, I'm somebody that jogs a lot, right? And I literally feel this with myself. If I tell myself, okay, this song is finished, I'm done. Even if my body still wants to go, literally within 10 seconds, I'll stop running. And I think, okay, what happened first? Did I get tired or did I think tired? Mm, that's a key, it's, you know. It's so interesting because, like, um, I don't know, we have this. Th- these are with physical things anyway. But what I'm just trying to say is that, essentially, everything is a mental battle before it's a physical battle. And so you need to engage with these things that you're battling on a mental, psychological perspective. Why are you doing them? What don't you feel good about? What do you feel bad about? What are you avoiding? What's distracting you? You need to really diagnose yourself and sit down with yourself. I feel like um, a lot of people don't meditate. And even me, myself, like I find it hard to meditate at times. If you're not going to meditate, talk to yourself at least. Understand yourself. Meditating is obviously the most effective way because you're going to be by yourself in your head. Nothing else is going to come except from your thoughts. But if that's hard to do, listen to music. Music is so good because you can listen to a song that puts you in a mood that will just send thoughts to you that you didn't even know you had. Just put on an instrumental right now. Put on any instrumental. I guarantee you by the end of the instrumental, you're going to have some sort of short emotional memory flashback to a feeling you have inside you. And that's because we emit these feelings all the time we emit so much data about our emotional and mental state problem is the ego rarely listens and i think if the ego always listened and you always put yourself in that place where you're critically and consciously thinking about what you do you probably would avoid even getting into these hurdles mm. and you know what as well though bringing back to a point that you that you said earlier about how um was it? Did you say that when you're running, um, it's your mind, your mind stops, that stops before your before body? Your body. I 100% agree with that because um, I remember two years ago, um, a friend of mine actually challenged me to do 500 punches with one hand and then 500 punches with the other hand. It was a mad challenge at the time because I've never done anything like that before. I was just thinking, that's a bit long. But I thought, you know what, let me let me challenge myself. Let me do it. So I did it, right? I, I reached a 1,000 strikes uh, total between the two hands. And I was like, you know what? I can go further. I still have energy. I ended up going for, I think it was 3,500 strikes, like without stopping, no breathers, no nothing. And it highlighted to me that. And I was active. I remember I was like, it's like your mind taps into an infinite energy source and then it funnels that into our mass. Because when you do that movement, right, it's usually that mental pain that's that, that, that exceeds the physical exactly. pain. 
it's like that battle within yourself that's telling you, no, you can't, you can't do it anymore. I'm getting tired. Oh, if you do this, I might collapse. If I do this, um, it's just that self-belief as well, like, like that's telling you that, oh, if, you know, oh, you know what, you've done enough, you're comfortable, just chill, you know? And then once you get past that, that threshold, it's like it opens up a new threshold. It's like, okay, cool. Since you want to carry on, at the next 1,000, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to G-check you again and then we'll see if you want to continue. And it, it's quite <laughs> funny how, how it happens like that, you know? And I think, it's, um, I think it's a common thing that we see with athletes specifically because a lot of people look up to athletes. And I think that's because people admire their ability to see the limits that they place upon themselves. And then break past those limits. And break them. And then it becomes almost superhuman to people. It almost seems godly. But realistically, it's just that somebody is telling themselves in the inside. No. Something that's that, oh, you, you disagree with that. What would you say? No, is? I'm saying someone's telling themselves no on the inside. You have a voice inside telling you you're done. And they're saying no. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. I'm going to create yeah, exactly. a new high. I'm going to create a new record. I, I think that's... You know, if I really wanted to break that down, I would say it's because they have a, they have a, it's not an instant gratification, but it's a gratification, right? You're going to get a medal. You're going to get something. You're competing at the highest level. And that's really easy to admire. But to the average Joe, who is just, uh, you know, jogging to get back in shape or, you know, working on his smoking in order to be a better partner or a better piece of a family then it becomes much harder because you don't have instant gratifications in fact you have instant gratifications in doing the things that are negative right and so I think what you should take away from that example is to provide your own incentives as well because don't just be expecting your brain to want to do these things you know yeah sorry to take this to this whole biological argument again but I recently learned how to uh, train dogs. This is crazy, right? And I found out that uh, it's actually pretty simple. Two things. Dogs run on muscle memory and uh, an emotional connection to the action. So to give you an example, if a dog is lashing out against every single human that's coming towards its owner, it could be likely because they have had a negative past experience in which somebody approached their owner they didn't do anything and their owner got hurt or they got hurt. So the dog has now developed not only a muscle memory to what to people walking towards it, it's also developed an emotional connection to what that situation means, right? And I think we are almost exactly the same. We have emotional connections to actions and we also have muscle memory and they actually kind of work together. You wake up in the morning your muscle memory already tells you sometimes you're tired. You don't, you can already feel yourself doing that movement and you, you start feeling scared and whatnot. But what's more powerful is the emotional connection to these actions, right? And that's something that's much harder to actually stimulate because a lot of us don't even know how actions affect us emotionally. We don't, we don't even think about it, you know? Uh, we know we feel happy after a workout, but why? Is it because the workout is over? Or is it because, you know, you've actually made a change to yourself? And that's really important to me. You have to define it. It's all about the incentives. Athletes get gold medals. 
you need to give yourself something if you want to change that emotional response in your body. I highly agree. I think that's a very, very, very important point that you just touched upon there. What are the different ways that you could say somebody could reward themselves? Well, firstly, I think, um, of course, if this is if you're doing something physical, like trying to work out, you need to show yourself the the rewards. For example, if it's something like losing weight, take pictures along the way, make it a real internal event, you know, make it a real internal event of what you're doing, make it a conscious event. Don't just run. Don't do that. It never works. If you just wake up one day, you feel like running. No, make a plan to run, then run. Uh, take pictures before and after. Create a private story. Show the world that you're improving yourself. Basically create little things that essentially build up to much bigger things once you've actually carried out these actions. Those are one way to get almost instant gratifications. Uh, every single time you've done a run, have a specific type of drink, have a specific type of food you like, I don't know. Do something that basically stamps the event. Secondly, people around you. All of us should strive to have friends that notice changes in us. If you don't, you need to get some. Show them what you're doing. Explain to them why you're doing it. I guarantee you, if they are someone that actually does care about you, they will take your progress extremely seriously. Don't keep it to yourself. A lot of us, we go into these little echo chambers where we think we want to change something about ourselves that we shouldn't tell anybody until it's completely done. But, you know, there's this saying, I don't know how the saying goes, but it's about, you know, a man is serious about something when he tells people about it because then it's no way out right it's easy to tell myself i'm gonna do 50 press-ups every day if i quit i'm the only person that's gonna know but if i tell nero i tell zach i tell all these people that i'm gonna do 50 press-ups a day that pressure is now is now on me and i get instant gratification when i prove myself right and i prove myself right in front of people i respect and so it's just about using the resources you have available to you all of us are different if you have a family, you can use your family, you know, um, build anticipation around you, yourself doing these things. Really, what you got to do is you got to throw yourself in the deep end. It's not easy. It's scary. If it's something that you feel like is going to give you a fight to let go of, it's going to be hard. And so don't just go into it half heartedly. Plan for it. Prepare for it. Think about that emotional response. Think about what the emotional response will be once you've changed and really visualize it for yourself. Having an accountability partner is absolutely essential to reaching your goals, in my personal opinion. You know, when you have somebody who is there watching you and they can see your progress, they can see when you're slacking, they can see when you're stagnant, but they can also see when you're putting in the work. Is it, to me personally, I find it highly rewarding when they see me putting in the work. And then as you say, they give you the higher praise. But then also when you slack off and then they see that you're not producing results and they see that you're not fulfilling your potential, it's a lot more embarrassing. So it's all about increasing the incentive, but also increasing the risk yeah. of not doing what you need to do. Because as you said, like it's easy to just say, yeah, I'm going to do 50 push-ups every day but then not telling anyone because if you slack off, the only person who knows is you. But if it's the one where you've told everybody, listen, this is what I'm doing and this is when I'll do it by. 
it's like exactly. it becomes embarrassing now for you to then not show up. Do you get what I'm saying? Exactly. And then that in itself attacks your ego and, and your ego doesn't want to be attacked. So what do you want to do? Next thing you know, your ego's like, you know what? I've got to show up. I'm going to be there on time. I'm going to I'm going to show up. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I'm going to prove everybody that, that I am a man of my word or a woman of your word. You, if you're a woman, man, whoever, this is this this is all applicable to you. <laughs> He's going next. What's your problem? I thought Nero was going next. He hasn't spoken in a hot minute. What's Better going on? Round up, Nero. Here you go. You know, just through listening to even how Will kind of broke down the, I guess, the way dogs are essentially programmed, I don't see that different from humans in the sense that you've heard of Pavlov's dogs, you know, the, I I guess, well, Pavlov's dogs was essentially, there was a guy called Pavlov and he kind of did this quote unquote experiment in which he would ring a bell and then feed his dogs. And then it got to a point where he'd do it so often that sometimes when he just rang the bell and even if there was no food there, his dog's mouth would begin salivating as in the dogs were prepared to eat. And essentially, Mm. on a simplistic level, what that's trying to say is that there's certain things that trigger certain responses within people. You understand what I'm saying? And this all comes, this kind of all ties back into peer pressure because even from Pavlov's dogs, it's almost like how when a an, an occurrence of police brutality happens, people you, you know may see a video of some sort of you know racial injustice happening, and instantly their emotions are sparked off. Part of it sparked off because they know that people around them's emotions are going to be sparked off, so they adopt some sort of anger too. It's like that mob mentality. You understand what I'm saying? If you look at mobs, sometimes people in the mobs aren't even angry. But it's almost like the emotions of other people are so contagious that they'll take in some of that anger. And to mm. tie that back into almost the, I guess, racial injustice in which people experience, when somebody sees a video of some sort of injustice happening, instantly, just like Pavlov's dogs, they see something or experience something sensory within you know, the five physical senses, whether they see it, they smell it, they hear it, they touch it. And then instantly that response is triggered. The response may be some sort of, ah, you know, let's go out, protest, let's go out and break stuff, let's go out, ah, let's be angry, let's be angry. And it's almost like just how Will's kind of breaking down the example of how dogs are trained, I don't think humans are that different. And that's the funny thing. And when you kind of remove the separation between viewing how an animal is programmed to how a human is programmed, then you actually start to see that on a level, people really are, are animals. And that's not even kind of referencing, even me referencing the different areas of the brain, because on one level, a lot of people operate the reptilian part of their brain, which does make them quote unquote animals, they're surviving. But it just goes to show how through almost peer pressure with a combination of an idea of how to program people, people are very easily instead, but simultaneously it's almost necessary which will said which is also interesting mm-hmm. the whole time mm-hmm. of this conversation while hearing everyone just in this peer pressure a good thing and again the microphone got me i said the whole time i've been hearing this conversation i've just been thinking is peer pressure a good thing or a bad thing and i'm yet to come to an answer 
I think everybody listening to this should come up with an answer. But the question is, is there actually an answer? Because when you think about good and bad, it's the same thing. It's just on a different side of the scale. Exactly. I guess it ties back into polarity. Exactly. And just to quickly shamelessly plug a previous episode where we actually uncover uh, habits and the way how we form habits, the nature of our habits, and I actually highlighted ways how to identify our triggers in order to create better habits in future. This episode is called Starving Distractions Feed Your Focus. If you scroll down the episode list, you'll find the episode. Make sure you tune into that one because it will be a perfect one to listen to you right after this one and it will help tune you back into the person that you want to become. Very happy guys to School of Higher Thought. Another episode <laughs> of Higher Thought. There you go. That was nice, guys. Most definitely. I appreciate having you well again. It's an honor. You know, it's funny, yeah, because yesterday I did a poll on my on my Instagram story and I said, oh, yeah. who wants to who do you guys want to see on the podcast? Somebody typed in Will Q4. <laughs> Literally a day later, Damn. you're back on a podcast. Yeah. That person definitely brought that into reality, mate. <laughs> we gotta do another one. Sure. Don't worry, I'll get back to you guys with a list of my specialized podcasts because there's a lot of stuff we need to get into. Like even just going off from the last one, there's all types of stuff we need to speak about, really. Yeah, man. There's so much but to uncover. 